Okay, thanks. Please give it up for our worship team. That was fantastic. Ellie, thanks for using your gift in such a powerful way. It's so great to have Ellie and Janique as a part of the ministry here. And um, really, amen. And uh, that was fantastic. God's going to trouble the wah-wah-water. Yeah. I love how he brings it when he sings. He brings it, he brings the Spirit of God, and that's just, it fires me up. It gets me excited. And, uh, yeah, while I'm talking about members, we have incredible members in the church here. God's given us a, uh, an unbelievable family here in the Hudson Valley to be a part of. And uh, I just wanted to say also to Tina, um, amazing, amazing uh, message for us today. Fantastic. And... Um, it's not surprising to me that um, the, the grades went up. I'm, I know it was uh, the test scores. I know it was because of a prayer. But also it's because Tina has the gift of encouragement. And that's just who she is. And so I'm not surprised that she's in a classroom and children feel more encouraged that she's there working with them. And so thank you for using your gift for God. And uh, you're just an example of so many awesome sisters that we have across the church here that are using their gifts for God. And so um, I'm grateful for you and grateful for all of the uh, members that we have in the church here that you're using your gifts for God. And that's a powerful, powerful thing. Um, at the end of July, I had a stroke. You might have heard about it. Um, thankfully to God, it was a mild stroke, um, but it was scary. It was very scary, and it was very serious. And so I was in the hospital for four days, and they evaluated me. They saw on the MRI that I did have a stroke. Uh, I had slurred speech. I lost um, strength in my right side. I had trouble with my handwriting. Um, but by the second day, those things were coming back, my ability to write, the strength in my right side, my ability to speak. Um, and so I was really grateful to see, and the doctors were incredibly encouraged to see that things were coming back very quickly. Um, but it was serious. It especially got serious. I think it was on the third day when a woman I'd never met before in my life came into the room and she said, uh, Mr. Kennard, and I said, yes. She said, I'm your stroke coordinator. And I looked at her, I said, that's a thing? <laughs> And she said, yes, I'm your stroke coordinator. And in my mind, I thought, well, it would have been good to have met you a week ago before I ever had a stroke, and we were just coordinated to never have this thing. That would have been really, really nice. Um, but basically, uh, she sat down, and Lee was there, and my daughter and son-in-law were there, and she kind of read me the riot act about the new normal in my life. Now that I've had a stroke, now that I had a stroke, my um, chances of having a stroke are very high. Um, and everything that was uh, maybe slightly high or just a little elevated, the matrix has now changed. And so my blood pressure, which was borderline, is now high. My sugar levels, which were below uh, average, are now high. Everything, everything has changed. And so uh, they gave me medication. They told me to exercise, which I've, I've done. I've done it 42 days straight now. So um, I'm, I'm grateful to God for that. Um, I'm eating better. I'm on a new diet. 
primarily lettuce and spinach and that sort of thing. And so um, if you grow lettuce or spinach, grow more for me uh, because I'm eating a lot of it right now. And uh, also I'm supposed to take stress away from my life. So that's why I will not be talking to any of you anymore. <laughs> it's been good to know you, but uh, <laughs> yeah, so that last one's a little difficult. But um, I am learning to let go of some things, and I'm learning to say no to some things. Um, and that's very difficult for me, uh, but I'm learning to do that. But I am grateful to God that it was a wake-up call. It, it honestly could have been really, really serious. Uh, but I appreciate your prayers. I know so many of you prayed, and I felt your prayers while I was in the hospital. Uh, so many of you sent home great meals, uh, heart-healthy and brain-healthy meals, and I appreciate that very, very much. And I just really appreciate the fellowship here. I appreciate the family that God has given me to be a part of. Because I, I knew that uh, you were praying, and I felt your prayers. Uh, a number of people came by to visit, and I'm grateful for that as well. But I just appreciate your continued support. And um, I, I think one of the things that it's made me recognize, and I think when you have this kind of event in your life, it makes you just think, okay, what are the things that are important? And what are the things that are necessary? And what are the things that you really feel like you can finish up and get done. Because I, you know, I get involved in so many projects that ultimately they have no end to them. And those are the things that I'm learning to say no to. No, I'm not, I don't want to be a part of that team that's working on this paper that'll probably never see the light of day. No, I don't want that. I've, I've done that before. I don't want to do that anymore. Instead, I want to be involved in things that are really going to matter, really going to make a difference. And honestly, as disciples of Jesus, that's how we should be. We should be about redeeming the time and using the time wisely. And I'm grateful to God that I had this wake-up call to help me to see how can I use my time more wisely and really redeem the time. And one of the ways is by preaching from Colossians right now. So open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to begin, begin in verse 24, and we're going to be looking through verses 24 through 29, so it's the last part of Colossians chapter 1, and it's going to be talking about the ministry or the mission of Paul. Paul's going to share a bit about his life here, and he's going to share about his ministry, and he's going to talk about his personal ministry, and he talks about two different points. In chapter 2, he makes one more point, but for, for this part of it, he makes two points, and these will be the two points that I'll be talking about in my lesson today. The first point is about uh, making the Word of God known, making the Word of God fully known. So his first point is that his ministry was a ministry built around missions, built around letting the Word of God be fully known to people. That's who Paul was. Paul was about reaching people. He was about being with people. He was about teaching people Jesus. And then the second part of his ministry was to present everyone wholeheartedly devoted to Christ. To present everyone wholeheartedly devoted to Christ. And I'd call that maturation, maturing people, getting people wholehearted, helping people to become more like Jesus. And so if you were to divide the ministry of Paul down to two things, he presents them right here in this passage. It's basically missions, 
to let the world know about Jesus and maturing people, helping people reach wholehearted devotion in Christ. Now let's look in verses 24 through 27, the first point, to make the word of God fully known. And I'll read this. It's going to sound very different than your translation, but just try to follow along with me. Now, <laughs> thanks, Tina. Now I rejoice in suffering on your behalf, and I feel what is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions in my flesh on behalf of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant or minister according to the stewardship God gave me to complete the word of God in you. The mystery that has been hidden from the ages and generations, but now has been made manifest to the saints, to whom God has wished to make known the glorious riches of this mystery to the Gentiles, which is in Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul is talking about making the word of God fully known. And that's who he was. That's what he was about. He was all about people. He wanted to teach the world the good news of Jesus Christ. And so he went everywhere preaching the gospel, especially to the Gentiles, because that was the special mission that God gave Paul. So to a church like the church of Colossae, which was in a Gentile territory, Paul wanted them to know that my part of what I do is I reach out to people and let them know about Jesus. Yes, people just like you. But it's interesting how he describes how his mission and how he carries out his mission and what makes up his mission. You know, Paul's ministry, the way he went about ministry, the way he went about building church, the way he went about reaching people, you know, it wasn't about building buildings. He never built a church building in his life. In the early church, you read the New Testament, across the whole New Testament, you'll never see one church building. And we look around us, we see all these elaborate church buildings as if that is the way to do ministry and that is the way to build church. But not if we're doing it the New Testament way. I mean, we need places to meet, but we, we rent places. But Paul, it was not about building buildings. He was not about church programs, starting and launching the next program. He was not about church budgets and trying to look over the budget and oversee the budget. He was not about, well, let's see how elaborate our worship team can be. You know, I, I, I appreciate our worship, and I've already said I appreciate our worship team and what they did for us today. But Paul did not build church based on that. It was not about elaborate growth schemes. Well, I just did this study and I just read this book, and let me tell you what I found out. That's not what Paul was about. Now, with all of those things, I appreciate those things. In fact, I love to read books. I love to read the studies. I love to pour over uh, how do we reach people around us? How do we reach people in the postmodern age? What's the best way to teach people today? And I love worship and coming to worship. And I appreciate the buildings that we're part of. And we have to have a budget. And all these things are good. But Paul defined his ministry with one word. Do you see that word? Look in verse 24. One word. Suffering. Suffering. That smacks in the face of how in this 
Western world church is done today and ministry is done today because we act like it's about building the more elaborate building or launching the most effective program or um, having the, the, the most dazzling worship team that we could possibly have and it's about all these things. Those aren't the heart of building ministry. The heart of building ministry is hard work, toil, effort, labor, suffering, suffering for other people. And so in verse 24, Paul says that. Max Anders, in his book on Colossians, says, In his effort to keep believers from falling prey to the seductive sounds of false teaching, Paul tells us the truth about authentic ministry. It is involves suffering it is hard work I appreciate what Andrew says there that is authentic ministry it's about suffering it's about hard work Peter T. O'Brien in his commentary uh, defines this word pethuema pethuema is the Greek word for suffering or affliction or misfortune and he says it was used by the, the, the tragedy writers to say This is what a person befalls and must be accepted. Must be accepted. Part of what we must accept is if we are going to be a church that reaches the world, it's going to take some hard work. It's going to take some toil. It's going to take some suffering on our part. We're going to have to put ourselves out for people around us. We're going to have to pour out our lives for people around us. This is how Paul did ministry. He describes his sufferings in a couple of places, and both are really intense passages. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 3 through 10. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. And then he says, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distress, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet not always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. Paul lived a life where he poured his life out for other people. Another place where he describes his ministry is in 2 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 21. Here Paul says, What anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. Then he says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. 
I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? That basically was Paul's job description of what it means to be in the ministry. I was at a staff retreat a few years ago. We go up to the mountains for a staff retreat. And um, I was talking to, we, at that time we had a lot of young people that were just, be, just coming into the ministry, um, interested in the ministry, and a number of them were there for their very first staff retreat. And I asked everybody that could to just break open a paper Bible, you know, just a good old paper Bible. Uh, and most of them had one, and so most of them opened it up. I said, turn to this page, passage. And I read this, and I said, this is your job description of if you want to be in the ministry or not. Just consider it your contract between you and God. And if you're willing to live like this, then sign that page. And it was sober, and it was quiet, just like it is right now. Because I think we want a ministry that's effective, but sometimes without the hard work and the toil and the suffering that must happen in order for it to be effective. I'm all about the abundant life that we can live in Christ. You know, I think it's wonderful, the blessings and the gifts that God gives us. But to be effective and win the world and reach people and let people know about Jesus, it's going to take some sacrifice on our part in order to do that. It doesn't happen by accident. If we're going to make the world fully known to people around us, then it's going to take some hard work. We're going to have to be with people. We're going to have to get out of our houses and get out of our apartments and be with people. We're going to have to learn that the good news of the gospel takes time. Sharing the good news of the gospel takes sacrifice. It takes lots of conversation. It takes prayer. It takes face-to-face conversations. It takes walking with people, and it takes um, just being with people. It takes those things, and we're going to have to be willing to do that. Some people, if you've been around the church, you know, for 30 years or, or, or so, 25, 20 years, then you know, um, back in the mid-80s um, and early 90s, we were, we were such a growing church. And if you're not familiar with the history, I, re- I remember uh, we would commonly baptize uh, over 100 or 300 people a year. That was common. I remember one time where baptism is not everything, but it is something. I remember one time where we would baptize 100 people in one week. 100 people in one week. And yes, there were things that were set in place that I don't want to go back to that. But there was something that we did back then that we don't do as much now. And that's just hard work. That's being with people. That's being with people with a purpose. And just, just hours and hours spent helping someone get to know the Lord. You know, at our, at our workshop, Phil talked about getting your hands wet again. Just getting your hands in the baptistry and getting wet again, dunking someone in the Lord. And he asked, when's the last time you've done that? And we need to think about that because that's a glorious thing. 
But even to get to that point, there's so much that goes into that. And I have to ask myself, and I have to ask all of us, are we willing to pay the price? To reach the, word with the world with the word of God, are we willing to pay the price? I want to share a little bit about uh, one of the, my favorite brothers ever. Um, and he's not with us anymore, but his name, his name is Barry Beatty. He's not with us on the earth, but he's, um, in my mind, in Hebrews 11, the hall of the faithful. And even though he's dead, he keeps speaking. Because I, I never knew of anyone more evangelistic than Barry Beatty. Barry believed that the world needed to hear about Jesus. And he would speak, he would talk to anybody. I mean, honestly, I think he would talk to a wall about Jesus. He would just, he just always was starting conversations with people. And Barry used to say, he used to say, you know, Steve, evangelism is an outdoor sport. And I'd be, what do you mean by that, Barry? He said, well, you can't do it alone in your home. You can't do it in your apartment all by yourself. You have to get out and be with people. And so it's an outdoor sport. You got to get out of your apartment. And then he would do that. He would ride the subways. He would go to campus. He would have uh, Bible talks that were amazing Bible talks. I never saw him coming to church without a guest with him. He just talked to people about Jesus all the time. And we would get on elevators together, and he would start talking to people about Jesus. And um, it, it was amazing. And he was, he was very forward about it. It, it was, to me, at times, I was like, very, you know, uh, hold back a little bit, bro. But <laughs> we could we'd get on an elevator in, in New York City with people, and he goes, he'd just, hey, have you heard about Jesus? And I'm like, dude. <laughs> and Barry was the kind of guy that didn't mind invading your personal space. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, that, my personal space is about here. I'm fine having with you a, a conversation with you if you're about there. But Barry would be here. I mean, he'd be all up in my face, you know? I could, I could see the food in his teeth. I mean, he would be right here. And so I would say, Barry, Barry, I'm going to take a step back right now because, I, you know, I love Barry, and we were such close friends. And so I'd take a step back, and he'd be fine with that for about a minute. And then the next thing I know, he's back here again, you know? And he was that way with everybody. And, he, and honestly, he did that because he loved people. He wanted to be close to people. That's just who he was as a person. And to him, evangelism was an outdoor sport until he got sick. And he got sick. He had a brain tumor that kept coming back. He had multiple surgeries. He had radiation treatment over and over. And I can remember visiting him in the hospital. And uh, they put this halo around his head where if you, that's a metal ring that was literally just um, drilled into his skull. So he had screws in his skull with this metal ring around it. And I would go with him as we would, I remember once especially, I would, he was going to have surgery. That's where he was headed. He was going to have brain surgery. And so I, I was with him, beside him, uh, walking him the whole way. And I kid you not, every single person Barry met on the way to surgery he talked to them about Jesus or invited them to church or let them know about the, his love for God. Every single person. And I was his wingman. He was doing it through 
piercing pain in his head with squinted eyes because he could barely open them because of the pain. But the person that was pushing the gurney, the person that just walked into the elevator, the, the nurse that was checking his wristband, the nurse that was taking his blood pressure, the surgeon that came in for pre-op ins instructions, the assistant that stood by him, every single person. And he would get the conversation started and he'd say, Steve, give him an invite. Talk to him now. I was his wingman. You know? And so I would continue after Barry got it going. But Barry was amazing. Barry knew what suffering was. And suffering didn't hold him back from talking to people about Jesus. Instead, it was just a part of who he was. And I value that. I value that uh, example that he left me. Who's going to be that example today. Which of us is going to be willing to step out, get out of our comfort zone, and talk to people? That's what it's going to take. We're going to have to talk to people. I want to give you a friendly challenge. I know some of you, you're not even members of the church here. and Welcome. You're our guest, and I know this is heavy and deep. But if you're our guest, I want to just give you a friendly challenge. If you haven't if you're not in a Bible study right now, ask for one. Ask to get in a Bible study. Just say, to whoever brought you, whoever you're a friend with, would you study the Bible with me? Because in the Bible are the words of life, and it's the, the example of Jesus, and we all need to know that. Secondly, if you are a member, and you've been here with us, and you love Jesus, share Jesus with someone this week. Share Jesus with someone, multiple people. Just start conversations. Just talk. Just talk to people. And then get it around, like Jesus with the woman by the well, get it around to talking about spiritual things. Start talking. And push yourself. Be willing to be out of yourself. Even be willing to embarrass yourself at times if the words don't come that easily. But suffer. Suffer to help people know about Jesus. And then I encourage all of us, um, as we are working with people, just to invite other people to study the Bible. Get in a Bible study. In September and October, get in a Bible study with someone. If all of us would study the Bible with people, God would richly bless us with an abundant harvest. It's going to take some sacrifice. It's going to take some toil, some labor, some hard work. Are you willing to be that kind of disciple of Jesus? Honestly, there shouldn't be no other kind of disciple. Point number two. <laughs> Present everyone wholly devoted to Christ. This is what Paul was about. He was about missions, reaching the world, and helping people be wholly devoted to Christ. What is your goal as a disciple? If it's your first time here, what is your goal of getting to know Jesus? Why are you here? If you've been here for a while, um, coming out, you know, but you've not really been studying the Bible, not really be made a commitment to get closer to Jesus, then again, why, why are you here? What is your goal? What do you want in life? If you've been here um, and you are a disciple and you've been a disciple for a year, two years, what is, your, what is your goal? What do you want out of life? Or if you've been around 30 years, what is your goal? For Paul, his goal was simple. He wanted to become like Jesus. 
and he wanted to help other people become like Jesus. He wanted people to be able to imitate him as he imitated Jesus. He wanted people to see Jesus in his life. Is that your goal? I mean, when you think of discipleship, do you really think, oh, I'm doing this to get to heaven? Okay, that's there. That is a nice extrinsic motivator um, to propel us all on. But honestly, there's a deeper motivation. And the deeper motivation is simply love of God, love of Jesus, wanting to be like Jesus. Is that your goal? Do you want to be like Jesus? Paul did, and he wanted to help other people be like Jesus. In Galatians 4.19, he writes, I'm in the pain of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. He was in labor, literally the labor of childbirth. Not literally, okay? (laughs) He couldn't literally been in the labor of childbirth. But he thought, this is a good metaphor, this is a good analogy that some people get, not everybody will, but I'm laboring here to help people become like Jesus. And his goal, simply put here, is to to present everyone wholly devoted to Christ. The word there is mature, but mature doesn't quite get it. Sometimes it's translated as um, perfect. Perfect definitely doesn't get it because we'll never be perfect. But the word is teleos. So I was doing some research this week, and I looked, and teleos, what does it really mean? To mature, we're all striving for maturity in various parts of our life. To reach maturity in Christ, that's probably not a high enough goal. That's not what Paul is really talking about. Definitely perfection is not, because um, perfection is not something they will reach here on this earth. But the goal should be to be wholeheartedly devoted. Are you wholeheartedly devoted to Christ? And are you helping other people be wholeheartedly devoted to Christ? It's interesting, as Paul talks about helping other people be wholeheartedly devoted, he goes back to this concept that he used about getting the word out to the world, and that is suffering or toil or hardship or hard work. Because to help other people become like Jesus or to help yourself become like Jesus, it takes hard work. He talks about uh, that he, he agonizes. That's the word that he used uses here. I agonize over this. It's the same word that was used um, in athletic contest in the first century. The wrestlers would get together and they would agonize over, over defeating the other person. Well, are you agonizing over this? So if you wonder, uh, if you wonder, you know, about Paul and what he was about, he was about giving his whole heart and helping other people give their whole heart to God. He recognized, though, that his agony, that his toil, that his hardship, that they had a little secret to it. And that was, it's not so much me, but it's Christ working in me. And that's a beautiful thing. Because we can get out here and we can work really hard and we can kind of white-knuckle it, you know, and we can grit our teeth and I'm going to work, work, work. But if Christ isn't involved, like Tina was saying, it's not going to be effective. But if we have the mindset that, yes, I'm going to work and sacrifice and Christ is going to repel me, then that becomes a beautiful thing. I've been, I've been cycling a lot lately as I am exercising. That's one of my prescriptions for health and wholeness is actually my, neuro- yeah, my neurologist, I got with him and he said, uh, okay, you're on this medication and you're supposed to do this. I have one more thing that you have to do every day. You have to exercise at least 30 minutes a day for the rest of your life. I was like, 
all right, got it. So I've, this is 42 days in, and it's going well. But one of the things I've taken back up is cycling. Now, for you guys that don't know, that's just a glorified word for riding a bike, okay? But us bikers, like Julio and me, we call it cycling, all right? I think Irby still calls it riding a bike. I'm not sure what he calls it. Not sure if he's taking the training wheels off or not. Um, but Julio and I, Julio and I, we know that it's cycling. And so cycling is, is honestly, cycling is the one form of exercise that I do that no matter um, how often I do it, how, how many days I do it, every time I'm on my bike, I want to go, I want it to last longer than I have time for. I want to go farther than I have time to go. I never get on my bike and think, um, oh, this is going to be drudgery. If I only have 30 minutes, I end up going 45. If I only have 45, I end up going 50. That's just how riding a bike is to me. And part of it is, bikes are beautiful things. I almost brought mine today because it's a, it's a pretty bike. But I decided, no, let me not do that. Um, but the, the cool thing about riding a bike is you're pedaling. You no, has anyone never rode a bike? Surely you've all ridden a bike. Yeah. You're pedaling, and your pedaling motion is right here. And so you're just pedaling those pedals, pushing those pedals, which is linked to a chain, which is linked to wheels that are this big around. And so you're pedaling this little motion right here, and these wheels are going round and round, big old circles. And this little bit of motion right here gets, gets put into those big wheels that just pushes you down the road. And even when you're going uphill and you're in a, a nice, easy gear, you're just pedaling, you're pedaling, and the wheels are doing the work for you. And yes, you, were, you are working. You have to work. You have to put the energy into those pedals. But what comes out through the wheels is so much more than what you're putting in. And I think that's how God works with us. He expects us to work. He expects us to pedal the pedals, but he's the wheels. And he's going to bring so much more out of it than we'll put into it. So mainly what he's looking for is a wholehearted devotion. If you are wholeheartedly devoted to him, and therefore when you meet someone, you talk to them. Or when you see someone in fellowship, you reach out to them or you're just being kind or you're using your gift maybe your gift of encouragement to encourage other people God is going to multiply that that's because that's who God is and that's how Jesus work works his energy will work through us if we will just open up our hearts and our lives for him to work through us this week I called a, a brother and just, uh, we were talking and everything, and I said, you know, how are you doing? And, you know, good, fine. I said, okay, how are you really doing? And that's what we have to do. We have to be willing to push a little more. How are you really doing? That was me pedaling the pedal a little bit, just pedaling a little bit. That's not a lot. You know, just, just how are you really doing? Well, tell me, what have you been studying in your Bible? Bible? That was me pushing the pedal a little bit more. What are you studying in your Bible? And then the answer, well, nothing really. Well, what about your prayer? Oh, my prayer life's good. Okay, what about 
just your goals for this year. You know, the rest of the year, what about those goals? Me pull, you know, just paddling a little bit more, no goals really. And so we talked for like two hours that day and then two hours the next day. And it was great to be able to help him, but it wasn't really me helping him. It was God helping him. I just pushed the pedals a little bit. And I think for all of us, that's what God wants us to do. And that's what Paul did in his life. His goal was to see everyone be wholeheartedly devoted in Christ. He worked for that to happen, but he worked with the energy of Jesus. And he expects us all to work with the energy of Jesus as well. I hope that this lesson is something that you will find actually challenging. I think it's a challenging lesson for all of us. I hope it will challenge you. First, I hope that you will decide that you are going to be a person that puts forth the word of God and lets it be known in the world and work for that to happen. Secondly, I hope that all of us will decide first in our own lives that we're going to be wholeheartedly devoted to Christ, but then secondly, that we're going to help other people be wholeheartedly devoted to Christ. And all of this for the glory of God. Amen.